Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 7. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzael, the the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar his sons, Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, we do thank you for these words. We thank you for this picture of your holiness. Even after you have spent time showing how you've consecrated Aaron and his sons, you make it clear that holiness belongs to you. That holiness is your holiness. And you alone are holy. It is your gift that you make other things holy and that you put your holiness upon them. But holiness belongs to you. And let us not forget this. Amen. As we've been going through the consecration of the priests and the initial sacrifices made by Aaron and his sons, as we've gone through chapters 8 and 9 of Leviticus, there's been a recurring theme. Eleven times in those two chapters... It says that what they did was in accordance to the commandment of God. Four additional times, it says what they did was because Moses commanded them. Chapters 8 and chapter 9 are about them obeying God and obeying his commandments exactly as he commanded them. So that really strengthens the idea of the verse 3 being used as a proof text for the regular principle of worship. The recurring theme of the consecration is that they did what God commanded. And then Nadab and Abihu, they, they don't do what God commands. And because of that, they're killed. The regular principle of worship, this is, this is a normal text that's used to prove this. The regular principle of worship says that for worship to be accepted to, acceptable to, for worship to be acceptable to God, it has to be done according to His commandments. The opposite is the normative principle of worship. The normative principle of worship says, as long as you're not violating a command, the worship will be acceptable. But that's not the teaching here. 
when they go up and offer strange fire, it's not that they're, they're offering something that God didn't command them to offer. He, he didn't say, do not offer this. He said, this is how you worship me. And they didn't come before him and worship him the way that he wanted to be worshipped. And their answer is, or God's answer is, you didn't holy. You didn't regard me as holy. That's why you thought you could come and give whatever offering you wanted. And it would be acceptable because you did not see me as holy. I want to argue the normative principle of worship that is widely held, widely held in the church, it means they're not regarding God as holy. Because to regard Him as holy says the only way you can approach God is the way He says is acceptable. To say you can approach God any way that you say is acceptable is saying that you are holy, not God. That your thoughts are like God's thoughts. That your ways are God's ways. And God says the opposite. He says His thoughts are are not like your thoughts. They're higher than your thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. But yet it's very easy to go, no, God has to accept this worship. I can do what I want. God has to accept my worship. And the answer is no, He doesn't. And those who he doesn't worship, he kills and he sends to hell. Either you worship God or he sends you to hell. God kills Nadab and Abihu not because because they violated a commandment of God. It's because they didn't do what God commanded. You know, another typical proof text that's used to prove the regular principle of worship is Jeremiah 7, 30 and 31. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the Sea of Hinnom, to burn their sons and the daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. They're going... But God has to, we're we're giving the most valuable thing that we have. We're giving our children. God has to accept it. And God goes, I didn't command it. I don't accept it. That's true for all worship. Our worship must align with the commandments of God. It's not like he doesn't accept the son offered in worship. He accepted his own son that was offered as a sacrifice. He told Isaac or excuse me, he told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And and as Abraham goes to kill Isaac and he's willing to sacrifice him, God says, this is an acceptable sacrifice. So the issue isn't sacrificing your son. The issue is God didn't command it. And here, Nadab and Abihu die because they worshiped God in a way that he didn't command. Because God is holy. Not that God couldn't have commanded them to sacrifice their children. He could have. But he didn't. So he does not accept the sacrifice, the worship that we want to give him. 
We do not have the right to worship God as we please. Because that puts us in the place of commanding God. You have to accept this. This is the sacrifice I've made. You have to accept my sacrifice. That puts us telling God what to do. And we don't get to tell God what to do. God tells us what to do. We're slaves of God. We're servants of the Most High. And we think when we know how to worship Him, without being told, we're exalting ourselves, thinking that we're holier than we are, thinking that we can align our thoughts up to God, which means that we're debasing God, we're lowering Him, we're making Him be like us. Because when we say, oh, this is God has to accept this worship, what we're saying is, God has to be like us. So we're not regarding Him as holy. The passage is clear. The heart of the regular principle is how holy do you consider God? How separate do you consider Him from man? If He's like us, then yeah, He has to accept the things that we like, the things that we think that He should accept. If He's like us, but if you think of Him as not being like us, if you think of Him as truly being holy, you go... Why? Just because I would be pleased if somebody did that to me doesn't mean he has to be pleased. Because we don't know him. He is holy and we are not. We are commanded to be holy, but we are still far from being holy as he is holy. When we think that we can worship God as we want, we're making God like man. And he is not like man. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. Much of the rest of the book of Leviticus is about how you have to see the holiness of God in order to approach Him. Even the passage that we're talking about, that they could only eat certain foods so that they would be set apart, so that they would be a holy people, so that they could, could come to, before God and have their worship accepted. And all those things are physical things that were just physical pictures of the spiritual reality that in the church, if you are part of the people of God, you have to approach God and you have to approach God seeing He is holy, so therefore you are holy. You change. You don't stay the same. He doesn't change. He doesn't become what... He, he doesn't say, I'll accept whatever you give me. He says you have to be changed to become acceptable. So as we go through the rest of Leviticus and you're all about the food laws, the leprosy laws, all these laws about various ways to be unclean and how you need to be clean so that you can come into the presence of God. It's all about you must regard God as holy. And so it starts with a stark example of what God does to two sons of Aaron because they didn't regard God as holy. And they try to approach God without seeing him as holy. And so God kills them. They thought they could approach God however they chose, whatever they thought was righteous, whatever they thought was good. So God kills them. God makes them a burnt offering. Verses 1 through 3. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace.
then it starts with Nadab and Abihu. You know, it says then here. That's not really in the Hebrew. It's not. It's just put in there to, to aid the flow. So it really just starts with Nadab and Abihu. And these are probably the two oldest sons of Aaron. Typically in the, the Bible, by order of names, you can determine who's the oldest. So it's probably Nadab and Abihu, or his two oldest sons. And they were also already separate, separated from, from his two younger sons. Because when they went up into the presence of God, remember how Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the 70 elders of Israel... They went up to Mount Sinai into the presence of God. It wasn't all of Aaron's sons that accompanied him. Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Then Moses went up also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. So it's not like Nadab and Abihu, they hadn't seen the glory of God. They had seen the glory of God. They had seen it more than than the other Israelites. They had approached near. It says that they saw God. And yet, they didn't regard him as holy. God had given them privileges. God had allowed them to come near. Not like Ithamar and Eleazar, that God had allowed them to come near, and yet they still did not regard him as holy. They had eaten and drank in his presence, but yet they thought, we can approach God however we want. So they're the sons of Aaron. He had four sons that would have been consecrated. Since all of his sons were consecrated, And so we don't know exactly when this takes place, but we do know the anointing oil is still on them. So this probably is, I think, most likely it's that evening sacrifice where they go to burn incense the very evening after they make the first sacrifices. Probably the first time after God keeps saying, do as I command, they do it. Do as I command, they do it. Do as I command, they do it. And then they go to do what God had commanded, and they go, eh, God's, not, God's already shown himself. He's appeared to the people. He burned up that burnt offering that was on the, the altar of burnt incense. We're good. We can do what we want. So they go to burn the incense after they made the evening sacrifice. So God sends forth a fire to consume them, just like he did the burnt offering. So we each took a sensor. When we think of a sensor, at least when I think of a sensor, you know, when they, they, you think of a sensor and it's this thing that you put coals in and then you put incense on it. But that's not what the word here means. This word is that it's a thing that you use to carry the coals. The point is, is to carry the coals. You know, it's not necessarily about burning incense. It's about carrying coals. And so much so that we know that every family had one, right? When Moses is able to command Korah and his descendants when they rebel against 
he and Aaron in number 16, let each take his censer and put incense on it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. Every family would have had a censer. doesn't mean that they all burned incense. It meant that they had, they had to be able to carry fire around. They were moving. They, you needed a, a fire pan, right? It's, been, it's translated in Exodus 38.3. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the fork, and the fire pans. All its utensils he made of bronze. This is, that word fire pans is translated censers here. So the point is, is that they're using their censers to transfer coals. And then they put fire in it. We don't know where they got the fire. But we knew, do know that the fire that they got, it's not from where they should have gotten the fire. They should have gotten the fire from the altar burnt offering. This is the fire that was burning. This is the fire that they had to keep burning. This is where it's, it's the way, the reason that they can approach the veil, the reason that we can go into the holy place is because of the sacrifice of Christ. It's not just for any reason. You can't just approach the holy place because you go, I can approach the holy place. The grain offering had to be burned on the burn offering. The peace offering had to be burned on the burn offering. There's a repeated pattern is that these offerings are only acceptable if they're burnt on the burnt offering. It's the altar burnt offering. The picture is that it's only through the substitutionary atonement of Christ who became the burnt offering for us that our prayers can come up before God. It's through his mediation so that the picture requires that the fire comes from the burnt offering. And we know that it's commanded later in Leviticus 16, 11, and 12. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. But we have no evidence that it was commanded before that it had to come from the altar burnt offering. And then put incense on it. And again, I don't think they're putting the incense on the, the fire that's in the censer. They're using the fire to, or they're using the censer to carry the fire. Because it keeps saying before the Lord, I think they're, they're doing the evening sacrifice, which meant that you burnt, you burnt incense on the altar of incense. I think they're carrying the fire in with the censers and putting it on the altar of incense, and that's where they put the, the incense on the fire. You know, so it's possible that they did it on their incense or their censers. We know that the high priest does that when he goes within the veil. He puts the he puts it in the censer to carry it to create a cloud so that he doesn't see the glory of God and die when he enters into the holy of holies. But typically, what they would do is they would carry the fire and then they would put the incense on the the fire on the altar of incense. And God's accused them of, of approaching him in a way that they were not appointed to approach him. but they And so he doesn't say you burned incense in a way different than you were supposed to. They were supposed to burn it on the altar of incense, so I think they're burning it on the altar of incense because it's very specific what they die for. They die for strange fire. So I think they brought the fire in the fire pan, they put the fire on the altar of incense, and then they laid the incense on top, on top of it. 
and they offered profane fire. It's, it's important to understand what the word translated profane means because there's a lot of speculation about was it something that was like flashy so that people could see it. They're in the Holy of Holies. People weren't seeing it. They weren't seeing it. They have no reason to think that they saw them offering the incense. And that isn't really what the word means. In the King James Version, 48 out of 79 times, the word is translated stranger or strangers. 21 times it's translated strange. And it's strange like, don't go into a strange woman, meaning a harlot. It doesn't mean that she's strange, that she has two heads. It means she's not your wife. That's what the word means, that you're that you have something that's not this like weird, unusual thing. Wow, that's strange. It means like you're a stranger in the land. You're from a different land, not that you're a different kind of person. The word means that it was fire that wasn't the appropriate fire. Offering profane fire is offering fire that is not the fire that they were supposed to use. It's like, it's like laying with a woman who's not your wife. She's a strange woman. Not because she's really that different. It's because she's not the one that you're supposed to be using. The one that you're supposed to be lying with. So they offered profane fire. Of course, we have no record of God telling them that the fire had to be from the altar. But I think it should have been obvious. This was the pattern. This was, remember the pattern going through over and over again. It said you have to put the burn offering on, and then you have to lay the grain offering on the burn offering, and then you have to lay the peace offering on the burn offering. And the fire was consistently because of the burn offering that always had to be burned. And God has just burned up the burn offering. He's just the one that, that caused that in such a way that everybody fell down before him and bowed to the ground. It's because of God's sacrifice that we can come in before him. And even if God didn't say it explicitly, they're supposed to have reasoned it out, is what I would argue. That it is a good and necessary consequence. If you're saying, okay, I have to burn fire, or I have to bring fire before on the altar of incense to burn incense, where do you get the fire from? And they went, we can get it anywhere we want. And I think God said, you were supposed to understand. The only way that you can approach God is through the burnt offering. That's the whole sacrificial system. It's the reason that the whole sacrificial system is there. So even if they weren't explicitly told, they were supposed to be able to reason it out. If you say, what fire should we bring, it's pretty obvious. You You don't just pull some coals from your cooking pot. So, yeah, the confessions, both the Westminster and the Second London Baptist Confession say it's a good and necessary consequence. I think these are good and necessary consequences. If you reason it out, the obvious place to pull it from is the altar of burnt offering. Because that's the source of peace. That's the, the source of, of an aroma that's pleasing to God. That's what God just just burned They took strange fire and they offered the incense before the Lord. They thought they could approach God however they wanted. 
And this is one of the reasons that I think they offered on the altar of incense. The idea of the altar of incense is it's right against the veil, so it's offering it before the Lord, as close as you can get to the Lord. And that says what she had not commanded them. They thought they could use whatever fire they wanted, that there was not none, there was not that there was not an acceptable fire, that all of it was acceptable. And remember, they just saw God burn up the burnt offering from off the altar. They should have had some fear. They should have recognized that the fact that God told them that they always had to keep the burnt offering, the altar burnt offering burning. That God considered that fire to be different. He considered that fire to be special. He considered that fire to have real pictures that they were supposed to see. They should have had some fear after seeing God burn up the burnt offering. But they thought God had to accept their offering. Think how many people today are like that. They've confessed Jesus as their Lord, so he has to accept whatever offering they bring. They don't have to worship him the way he says. They can worship him however they want. He has to accept that offering. It's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is we are slaves of righteousness. That when we are saved, He makes us righteous so that we can give Him an offering of righteousness, which is what He desires. (coughs) The offerings we bring have to be not what we think we should bring. They have to be what we, in our best understanding through the studying of the scriptures, believe God would have us to bring. What he wants to receive, not what we want to give. But they didn't do that, so the fire went out from before the Lord. It's important to see the parallel between what, what God does here and what he did at the end of chapter 9. Verses 23 and 24. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They all shouted with joy when they saw that burnt offering. And then God makes Nadab and Abihu a burnt offering. The fire comes out, that word, and devoured them. That's exactly the same word in Leviticus 9. God is giving you the picture. Either the burnt offering, the sacrifice, the substitute was made for you, or you become the burnt offering. It's one or the other. And the fire comes out from the Lord and consumes them both. I think it's bad that they use devour in one place and consume the other place because they're the same word in Hebrew. And the picture is the same picture. They didn't want the substitute. They didn't want to submit. They didn't want to accept what God had provided for them as an offering, what he had found acceptable. Instead, they said, we'll give our own offering. And so God makes them the burnt offering. And remember... They're priests. They have anointing oil on them. And fire comes out from before them and they burn up. They become a burnt offering. And they died before the Lord. They became this picture of judgment day. 
when you approach God, right? Think of the Sermon on the Mount, where many will come to me in that day. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many miracles in your name? And God will say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Nadab Nadab and Abihu were practicing lawlessness, so they became the burnt offering. That's how serious God is. They were burning it on the altar of incense. They were bringing bringing the censer in. They used the right incense. It doesn't say they burned the wrong incense, but God said, you practice lawlessness. This is the picture, either that burnt offering that God put on the, burnt, on the altar burnt offering, that picture of Christ, either he's the offering that was acceptable to God or you become the burnt offering. That's the way it works. And that's the picture he puts right up front to make sure nobody misses it. The first thing after they become priests, this is like the first thing that happens after they make the first sacrifices. God goes, either those sacrifices you're trusting in those sacrifices or you will become the burnt offering. And they died before the Lord because they didn't want to trust in the sacrifice of Christ. They didn't want it to be through the burnt offering. They didn't want the coals. They didn't want the right fire. They didn't want the coals from the burnt offering to make it so that their prayers would be heard by God. They said our prayers have to be heard by God regardless of the fire we bring. You're either trusting in the sacrifice of Christ And it's through him and his sacrifice that you can approach God or you will be a burnt offering. And then Moses says to Aaron, you can imagine Aaron's feelings at this point. They'd all just shouted with joy. They'd all fallen down. They'd seen the glory of God. God appeared to them. They're all rejoicing. And then a short while later, his two sons are dead. He has to be sitting there thinking, God's unjust. This isn't fair. But Moses immediately speaks to him and he says, this is what the Lord spoke. And we started almost two years ago going through these verses about how to make the tabernacle, how to do the servant, how to do the sacrifices, how to set up everything, all the pieces, all the priests, the consecration of the priests. As we've been going through Exodus and Leviticus, We've spent almost two years, I think it's October 1st of 2021, or somewhere around there is where we started to talk about the tabernacle. We did it one day a week. They did it every day for 10 months, or nine months, or whatever they spent building it. Every day, they worked on it, and every day they had a testimony of how holy God was, how it had to be done exactly the way that it was supposed to be done. And so we have these words that Moses said God spoke to them. And we don't have any record that God actually spoke these words to them. But we do know he gave them months of testimony that this was true. Months of testimony. As they keep saying, you have to do it exactly how God said. You have to do it exactly as God said. This is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, those who want to approach God, they can't just throw whatever building they want together and say, God will come. 
They can't just say, this person will be a priest. He doesn't need to be the person that was chosen by God. He doesn't need to be the person that was called by God. Anybody can come. Those who want to draw near to me, those who want to come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. That's the testimony of chapter whatever it is, chapter 28 of Leviticus through Exodus 9. Or chapter 28 of Exodus through Leviticus 9. The whole testimony of that is, if you want to try, appear, approach near to me, you must regard me as holy. They had to see him as distinctly different from the world. To think that you can't approach him on your own terms, according to what you think is a good idea, according to what would please you, if you do that, you're not regarding him as holy. Again, this is the basic problem with the normative principle of worship is they think that man is holy like God, that when we're saved, we become like God, that we're holy, so we can know what is acceptable to God. And we're not holy. That's what Nadab and Abihu thought. Is it a fire's fire? Why does it matter? And God says, therefore, you're a burnt offering. We are not allowed to lower God and make him like us because that means we didn't regard him as holy. We are not allowed to look at God and say, well, this is what I would do in that circumstance, so this is what God should do. No, we are supposed to look at God and say, who cares what I would do in that circumstance? What would God do in that circumstance? So therefore, I'll try to do what God did. The normative principle is about conforming God to man. The regular principle is about conforming man to God. God says, be holy for I am holy. You must be conformed to God, not the other way around. We cannot figure out what will please him because he is holy and we are defiled by sin. We have to be directed and we need to humble ourselves before God and say, God, direct me in order to to approach him. So he must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified, he tells them. Just as there's the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This applies to worship. To draw near to God, you must regard him as holy. And to draw near to God, the people must be, see God as being glorified through your worship. Before all the people, I must be glorified. If your worship doesn't make people see that God is holy, that he is righteous, that he is just, that he is good, that he is kind, that he is long-suffering, if people can't see that through your worship, then you're not loving God the way you should love God because the two are not separate from each other. The two are directly connected to each other. Our worship must cause people to see the righteousness and holiness of God. So Aaron held his peace. That phrase, held his peace, is really one Hebrew word which means to be dumb, to, be, to not be able to speak. Sometimes it's translated astonished because you're so shocked that you can't speak. But I think the primary thing here is Aaron hears Moses' explanation Whether Aaron agreed with it or not, Aaron hears Moses' explanation 
that Nadab and Abihu did not regard God as holy, and so he didn't say a word. He couldn't speak. He didn't say anything. He didn't respond. His sons had not regarded God as holy. And so their testimony to God, to Israel, that God was not glorious. So God showed his power by making them burn offerings. And Aaron shut his mouth. Verses 4 and 5. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. So then Moses called. He, he understood the law. Even if parts hadn't been given to Israel yet, which was the law about dealing with dead bodies, that dealing with dead bodies makes you unclean. So Moses says, Aaron, you can't deal with them. Eleazar, Ithamar, you can't deal with them. Somebody else has to deal with them. So rather than calling Aaron or his two remaining sons, and again, typically they'd be allowed to handle the dead. It says in Leviticus 21, 1 through 4, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people, except for relative, his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. Also his virgin sister is near to him, who has no husband. For her he may defile himself. Otherwise he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. So these are his brothers. According to the law that's given later, they, they should have been able to touch the body. But Moses is saying, right now, with the anointing oil fresh on you, you can't touch the bodies. You can't defile yourself. God's making a point. God's making it known that you can only approach God if you regard him as holy. And because Aaron had just been consecrated and his two younger sons had just been consecrated, and because his two sons had just died because of their rebellion... If they went and dealt with the bodies, yes, they'd be defiled. Yes, that the law would say that they're allowed to be defiled, but they're not allowed to be defiled in this case because of that. Because they would not be regarding God as holy. So Aaron and, and his sons are not allowed to defile themselves. So they call Mishael and Elzaphan, which are two of Aaron's cousins. They're sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron. Uziel was the brother of Amram, the father of Aaron and Moses. So these were Kohathites, because Amram's grandfather was Kohath. So they were Kohathites. And the Kohathites had a certain responsibility in the temple, so, so Moses commands them to do what they're allowed to do as Kohathites. Numbers 4.37. These were the ones who were numbered of the family of the Kohathites all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The priests were the only ones that could light the light. The priests were the only ones that could do the table of showbread. The priests were the only ones that could do the altar of incense. But the priests didn't carry all the stuff when they moved from place to place. That was Kohathites. They were allowed to go into the holy place to do work. And so Moses calls two of them, Mishael and Elzaphan, and says... Go, 
Go do the work in the holy place. Go bring out the bodies. So Moses commands them to come near. Imagine what happens. You have, you have <coughs> Nadab and Abihu. They just, fire came out from the Lord, just consumed the two of them. Everybody would step back if they saw it. They wouldn't be drawing near. And so Moses has to say, now you come near. God judging would have caused people to fear of God to fall upon them. And everybody who had just been falling down on their face, screaming with joy, now they'd be afraid again. Remember, this is this pattern that they have, right? They want God to go with them. Then they don't want God to go with them. They want God to be there, and then they're afraid of God. They go up the mountain, and then they see God, and they eat in his presence. And then they say, uh, don't tell us what God says. You just, you just go, and you see God, and you hear, and then don't have him talk to us anymore. You just tell us what to do. And then God goes, I'm not going to go with you. And they go, we want God to go with us. God has to be near us. And so they have this tension that they want to draw near to God and they want to be afraid and they want to be far from God. So when God accepts the burnt offering, they come near and they rejoice. And now God makes Nadab and Abihu a burnt offering. And God, Moses has to say, come near and pick up these bodies. Carry your brethren. They were to carry the holy things. They were to carry the things out of the holy place. Nadab and Abihu had become acceptable offerings to God. People in hell are an acceptable offering to God because he is holy. He is holy. They had the picture of being a burnt offering. So carry your brethren from before the sanctuary where they had approached God to burn the incense and take them out of the camp. Again, this language parallels what they would do with a burnt offering. They would burn the offering from before the sanctuary. And then when it was burned up and it was all ashes, they'd gather up the ashes and they'd take the ashes and they'd bury them outside the camp. They're told to treat Nadab and Abihu like a burnt offering because that's what they were. So they went near, they obeyed Moses, may not have wanted to, but because God judged Nadab and Abihu, you can imagine that they would be pretty afraid not to. <coughs> so they went near and they carried them. And think about it. Remember, the tabernacle was in the center of the camp. It wasn't like off to the side. It was in the center of the camp. And so when they carry them, they're not... And if you say what he did was right, why would you take off the signs of being a priest? Do not. They had the turbans of the priesthood on their heads. And Moses warning them, if you take off the signs of being a priest, I will judge. Not I will judge, but God will judge. We're not allowed to turn from God just because we don't like what he does. 
Instead, we have to recognize, we have to regard him as holy. And because we regard him as holy, we have to say, what he did was right even when I think it's wrong. It doesn't matter what you think. The question is, what does God think? He is God and you are not. So they weren't supposed to sign the normal, to show the normal signs of mourning. They weren't supposed to take off their turban and put dust on their head. They weren't to tear their clothes. That would be the typical way to show that you're mourning over somebody. And Moses says, don't show mourning. Don't show mourning. You cannot reject being a priest just because you don't like what God did. Even when he takes your own sons as a burnt offering, God destroys his enemies, and if they take off the priest's garments, they become an enemy. And when God destroys their enemies, we're not supposed to mourn. We're not supposed to mourn when God destroys our enemies, his enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to witness for our enemies. But when God decides to judge the enemies of God, we're not to mourn. Because God does what's right. Don't uncover your heads. Don't tear your clothes, lest you die. Moses very making it very clear. If they mourn over God destroying Nadab and Abihu, they're not regarding God as being holy. They're not regarding him as being just. They're not regarding him as being righteous. They're not regarding him as being good. And because they've taken on the priesthood, they will receive the wrath of God if they defile it, just like Nadab and Abihu did. You know, all of a sudden, having this power in Israel doesn't look so good anymore. I'm sure as they were being appointed priests, they'd go, oh, look at all this. We get all this stuff. We get People will come and we get the best parts. We get the breast. We get the right thigh. We get the best parts of all the offering. Whenever they come with their grain and their tithes of grain, we get, we, we, we get our choice. We get the first fruits. Look at all the blessings of being a priest. And then God says, you mourn. You mourn over your son's dying, and I will kill you. To whom much is given, much is expected. God demands, if we have accepted Christ, God demands that we die to ourselves. He demands that we pick up his cross and follow him. This is what he expects of us. It is a great blessing to be a priest on the order of Melchizedek. But don't think that it's a light thing. It's not a light thing any more than it was a light thing for, for, for Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar to not mourn Nadab and Abihu. No half measures. Either you're a priest of God or you're not. And if they died... God's connecting it, right? What's the priesthood? The priesthood is is interceding between God and man. And that's still the priesthood. And so lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. They were still there. They were still interceding. They were still this picture. This picture of intercession that is Christ, but it is also his church that stops the wrath of God from going throughout all the people. 
which is why you've heard me say many times that the state of our nation is because of the guilt of the church, because we're the ones that are supposed to be stopping the wrath and we don't stop the wrath. They don't want to retain knowledge of God in their... They don't want to retain knowledge of God, so therefore God turns them over. The church has failed to cause the world around us to retain knowledge of him. So the wrath is on all the people. So there he's telling Aaron and, and Eleazar and Ithamar, if you do these things, if you're not there to intercede, God's wrath will come out and will be upon all the people. So it wouldn't just affect them, it would affect all of Israel. They were the priests. They were the ones that were to intercede. But let your brethren, the priests were not to mourn, but the rest of the house of Israel was. The whole house of Israel, everyone else could mourn. Israel's a picture of the world. They should see the righteous judgment of God, and that should cause them to mourn. There's no purpose for a Savior unless there's mourning. There's no purpose for Jesus Christ to be their substitutionary atonement unless they recognize they will be the burnt offering. When they see Nadab and Abihu carried out through the camp, remember when it says devoured, obviously there was enough left so that people could recognize. When God consumed it, it wasn't turned them into ashes. As they carried them out, other people were supposed to say, this is what God does. This is what God does to a people who approach me and don't think I'm holy. You know, later in Deuteronomy 32, God, or excuse me, 28, God says, this is, you're supposed to look at Israel and see the same thing. Today, we're supposed to look at the Jews and see the same thing. This is what God does to a people who think they can approach him and not think he's holy. And that's a warning to the church. We need to make sure that we're seeing God as holy. So they were to bewail it. They were to mourn. They were to, to, to see it and, cause, and have fear fall upon them. They were to sorrow over what God had done to Nadab and Abihu. Because Nadab and Abihu were not set. They were not fit to approach God. So how much more was the rest of the house of Israel that hadn't been consecrated, that hadn't had all these sacrifices made by Moses, So they were to bewail the burning of God, of Nadab and Abihu, which the Lord had kindled. They were to see it was the Lord's doing. And they were supposed to say, Aaron, Ithamar, Eleazar, were to say, this is not something to mourn over. But the rest of Israel was was to see it and say, this is what God did. And they're to mourn over it. It wasn't to hide this is God's doing. You know, it, the church tends to be ashamed of the verse Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-nine. Now see that I, even I am he. This is God speaking. There is no God beside me. I kill, I make alive, I wound and I heal. There is, there is, nor is there any who can deliver me from my hand. The whole world was supposed to see, all of Israel was supposed to see God killed them so that they mourned and they said, God, God is the one who judges. Moses is telling them, let everyone see this. Everyone mourn this. Everyone recognize the judgment hand of God. We're not supposed to hide that God kills. 
We're not supposed to hide that God judges. We're not supposed to hide that God pours out his wrath. Rather, we're supposed to help people mourn over the effects of sin. (coughs) But as for Aaron and his remaining sons, you shall not go out. They couldn't depart from the tabernacle. They couldn't depart from the presence of God because judgment was in the world. They were supposed to stand in the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They were to remain where they could be seen so that they could be seen as being different. While the rest of the world mourned, they were saying what God did was good or they were a picture of saying what God did was good. And again, these are all physical parables. These are all, these are all pictures. Because later when Aaron says, I couldn't eat of the offering because I'm angry at God, Moses says, that's understandable. Because there's a spiritual level to this. But the physical level, the physical picture that God wanted to be drawn there was the people of God are satisfied with what God does and they don't leave the temple of God. They don't leave and say, I'm going to reject God in order to love the world and the things of the world. It's a picture of the cares of the world were not allowed to bring Aaron and and Eleazar and Ithamar away from God. So they could not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They had to stand separate as priests and not mourn over their brothers, lest you die. Again, Moses told them, this isn't God just playing around. This is life and death. This is God judging with life and death. If you join with the world, if you ignore God, if the cares of the world draw you away from the things of God, God will kill you. God will judge them, just like he judged Nadab and Abihu. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. Specifically because the anointing oil was still on them. Again, later the law is such that a priest could touch the dead body of a brother. But now Moses goes, that's not where you are. They're seeing you as a priest. You still have the oil that hasn't all been absorbed into your skin and stuff. We can still see the anointing oil on you. You have to have a testimony before the people at this moment that what God does is good or you will die. The oil of the consecration could still be seen upon them. And all the people would not have had God glorified before them if they went out and mourned because God judged, righteously judged their brothers, their sons, his sons. And they did according to the word of Moses. They obeyed. (coughs) I'll give you some applications. (coughs) The first is the regular principle of worship is a big deal. It's very important. God says, don't play around with this. God kills people for messing around with this. And so, because of that, we should be regularly evaluating, are we worshiping God the way he instructed in his word? Because God is merciful, he does judge us according to knowledge. But not just the knowledge that we do have, the knowledge that we should have. Closing our eyes does not make us innocent closing our eyes to the commandments of God. But we should expect as God, as we walk with God as a church, as we 
as we go through all these passages about you must regard God as holy to approach him. All those holy things, all those passages, we should be asking ourselves, is that teaching us anything about how we should worship God? Are there things we should be doing different that we didn't see two years ago, that we didn't see three years ago? We should be regularly evaluating, are we worshiping God the way he would have us to worship him? Because yes, he is long-suffering. And yes, you see later that they do things that God doesn't kill all the people for. But at this point in time, he's making the point, they should know. And he judges them for not knowing. And as we gain more knowledge, we need to constantly be going back and saying, so is there something we should change for what we've been doing before? We should never think that we arrived, that we've, that we've, that, that we don't need to say, God, are we worshiping you the way that we should? God is very serious about worship, and as a church, we need to make sure, as families, we need to make sure that we're worshiping God as he would have us to worship him. (coughs) And it's easy to look back and think that this is just about the Old Testament, but that's why I had Chris read Acts 5. It's not about the Old Testament. Acts 5 parallels this passage. They thought they could approach. They thought they could approach God, lie to the Holy Spirit, and God would just go, well, at least you gave me something. They didn't regard God as holy, and that's why they were killed. And that's why they were carried out. And that's why fear fell upon all of Israel, all of Judah, because they carry out them and they bury them, and fear falls on all the people, right? The parallels are all there. So this isn't some, just some Old Testament concept. This happens in the New Testament. This is why Paul writes to Corinth. You know, you get drunk at the Lord's Supper and God kills people for that. That's why some of you are dying. It's really easy to think that, you know, somehow this is, this is God of the Old Testament, but God is God and he doesn't change. He's always been serious about how he is worshipped. In the case of Ananias and Sapphira and in the case of Nadab and Abihu, they didn't treat God as holy and God killed them. He sets that up as an example right when the worship starts because that's the time of Reformation, right? That's when Ananias and Sapphira are giving their money. It's the time of Reformation. It's where these physical things become spiritual. So God does the same thing and he kills them so that they see and fear falls upon them and goes, this is the God who you are trying to approach. He is holy. Related to that is when we ever, whenever we offer something other than our best, we should have no expectation that God will accept it. We're to be very careful. We're not to be like Judah, like it says in Malachi 1.13. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. They were to know what they were to sacrifice. They were to know the fire that they were to use. And God says, you didn't sanctify me. You didn't treat me as holy. You didn't cause the world, to, the Israelites, to see my glory. And so God showed them his glory. When we go, yeah, I'll do, I'll do devotions if I get around to it. I'll pray if I have time. 
Don't think it's not the same. Don't think it's not the same as the offerings that Judah was giving, where God goes, really? You think I'm going to accept your leftovers? I'm God. I accept first fruits. God doesn't need to accept our worship. We need to worship God the way that he commands us to worship him. Another application, don't miss the picture of the burnt offering, right? The burnt offering substitutionary atonement. And either Christ is your atonement or you're the burnt offering. Nadab and Abihu thought, we're fine. We're priests of the Most High God. And God goes, no, you're a burnt offering. Don't trust being called a priest. Don't trust being called a Christian. Don't trust in any of these things. Submit to God. Fall down before God. See God as holy. Because either Christ was offered in your place or God will send you to an eternal fire that will devour you, will consume you. This passage is warning about the seriousness of worship in God's eyes. If we're not worshiping the true God, if we're just made up another God that we call Jesus Christ, you will be consumed like a burnt offering. There's only one name under heaven that you can be saved, and it's not the J-E-S-U-S. It is the Christ of the Bible. That is the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. Nadab and Abihu said, we can just do whatever we want, and God's fine. And God consumed them as a burnt offering. And he'll consume you as a burnt offering unless you're really trusting, really trusting in the sacrifice of Christ. Another application, we need to make certain that our worship causes others to see the glory of God. If we say that we're Christians and we live like the rest of the world, we should not think that we're actually approaching God. We're not testifying to the transformative power of God. Those, you have to, if you draw near to God, you have to regard him as holy and you have to have all other people see that God is glorious. If you don't do that, you're not really approaching God. It's one of the reasons that the Sabbath is so important. God says that the Sabbath is important because this testifies that you've been sanctified. This testified testifies that you see the holiness of God. And this is a testimony to the world. The Sabbath is one of the most obvious testimonies to the world. Where the world has seven days and they all treat the seven days the same, Christians have six days and they treat one day as very different. A day that they're to focus on the things of God. That they're supposed to commit their time. They're not supposed to worry about worldly things, worldly pursuits, making money, providing for themselves. Because they're saying God is a good master. He's not like Pharaoh. And that testimony is a distinct testimony that's different for Christians than the other people in the world. The Sabbath shows that we're a different people. But everything we do is supposed to show that we're a different people. We don't do it to show that we're a different people. But if we are a different people, if we regard God as holy, his name will be glorified before the people. And we need to constantly be asking ourselves the question, are we glorifying God as a church? Or a better question than that question. 
is are there ways that we're not glorifying God as a church? Because it's, it's easy to look and see ways that people would see that we're different. They see the signs that we hold up at the abortion clinic are different than what the other people's signs are. They really are. They see us as different. Seriousness with which we keep the Sabbath. They see us as different that people stay here till three or four in the afternoon. They see us as different. Guarantee in Nigeria they see us as different than those churches. But just because we can say in these ways the world, all the people around us see us as different, we should be asking ourselves the opposite question. In what, what ways do we look like the world? Do they see us like the world so they can go, yeah, God isn't that glorious? Because they don't, somebody who's against God, they don't look at the things that you're doing, they look at the things that you're failing to do. So we should ask ourselves the question, what are we failing to do? What are we doing that causes the glory of God not to be seen? And not just what are we doing that causes the glory of God to be seen. Another application, when somebody falls in the church, the world's supposed to know about it. Nadab and Abihu, when they, when they, when they got destroyed for not approaching God as holy, God didn't just say, let's bundle them up and let's sneak them out. They got carried out through the people. The modern church says we should hide everything, right? If something goes wrong, if a pastor falls, you don't want to expose it to everybody. You don't want shame to come upon the church. Let's just hide it. Let's just have them go away quietly. Let's just not even tell the congregation about it because that's shameful to tell the congregation about it. God says just the opposite. God says, pick them up by their tunic. Make sure everybody knows they're a priest and carry them through the camp so that everybody sees. They couldn't approach God. They weren't holy. The church needs to see that. The church in America needs to see that. And how you deal with church discipline has a lot to say with whether the people see that or not. The people who think, oh, everybody that professes faith, everybody that, you know, this is why it was a good thing to do, you know, is Ravi Zacharias in hell, that podcast. Because a lot of people were confronted with the fact, wait a second, but he had all the priestly garments on. He spent all the time serving as a priest. And so you're supposed to carry him outside the camp and go, he's not part of the Christians. So that people look and see the glory of God. We are not supposed to hide when God judges false professors. The world should see that so that they see the seriousness of worshiping God. Another application, God divides. By killing Nadab and Abihu, he was giving a physical picture of what the gospel does. What Jesus Christ said in Luke 12, 51 and 52, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. He already did that. He divided Nadab and Abihu from Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar. There were five in a house, and he divided two and three. Christ came to divide. Even all these that say, oh yeah, we're all priests. 
he divided them between those who would regard him as holy and those who would not. church needs to stop apologizing for God. There's another application. I remember when, when the, the hurricane came through and destroyed New Orleans. New Orleans is a wicked and perverse city. It's hard to, if you've ever been to New Orleans, it's like, the mo- and I've been to a lot of places, and it's like the most perverted and wicked city I've ever been to. And God judges it, right? He causes it to be flood. He causes all the, 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 all the dams and everything to break so that it's like completely underwater. And the leaders of the church run out and go, that wasn't God. That wasn't God. I promise. That wasn't God. That wasn't God. That's what the Southern Baptist Convention said. That's what everybody said. Well, how do you glorify God if you will not declare his judgment when he judges? They were supposed to make sure everybody understood God judged. In the church, we have to be willing to make sure everybody understands that God judges. The church now wants to go, no, 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 God can't do anything. He's just out of control. He has no, no power. He's just like us. They didn't regard him as holy. And because the church... Not necessarily because, but it's not surprising that when God, when the church would not regard God as holy, it's not very long before God turns us over to a debased mind as a nation. The church needs to never needs to apologize for God. It needs to declare this is what God does. Another application: people think that they can approach God on their terms. People say this is who God has to be. The answer is no one can approach God on their terms. He is a holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. We cannot make God like us. We are not holy. And if we think we can approach God the way we want to approach on our terms, we're saying God is not holy. And God's primary characteristic is he is holy. Nadab and Abihu did not come to God saying, you are a holy God. They did not come with a humble and contrite heart. They did not come saying, it is an amazing thing that God would let us draw near to him. Instead, they came going, we'll offer whatever we want to offer. And God kills them. You cannot approach God on your terms. You have to approach with a humble and contrite heart. That is what God does not despise. And the the center thing of having a humble and contrite heart is you don't go, God, you have to accept this. You go, God, what can I do that you find acceptable? Don't think anything has been changed. God must, or has changed. God must be regarded as holy if you draw near to him. And if you regard God as holy, you will make yourself holy. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And the last application. You have this picture of Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar. 
standing in the, the door of the tabernacle. And they're supposed to have no signs of mourning. They're seeing the wicked judged, and they're supposed to have no sign of mourning. We should recognize this is, this is what heaven looks like. This is the picture of what heaven looks like. Isaiah 66, 20 through 24. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations. On horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules, on camels, to my holy mount Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, and I will take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make, remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Sabbath by Sabbath, new moon by new moon, those in heaven will look at those who God has poured out his wrath on. And they won't mourn. There's no tears in heaven. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no sorrow. They will look at the judgment and they will say, God is a good judge because he is holy. That's what, that's what Aaron and, and Eleazar and Ithamar had to do because that's a picture of what heaven is like. Those who are in the holy place will look at those who are under the judgment of God and they won't mourn. They'll say, God is good. He is holy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you. We thank you that you are a holy God and that through the blood of your Son, through the Holy Spirit, that you make a people that can be holy, that can be drawn near to you, can come to you because you open our eyes to see your holiness. Lord, I know we don't see your holiness nearly as completely as we should. Help us to see how holy you are. Help us to see how how you are pure light, that there is no shadow or turning, there is no darkness in you, so that we become more and more creatures of light and that we put away sin from among us. For your commandment is for us to be holy as you are holy. Help us to be a holy people by showing us your holiness, Lord. Amen.